Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Let's turn our Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 to 18 in the New Living Translation. Matthew 16, 13 to 18. It says, when Jesus, it's a story we know very well. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn, it from, you did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Can somebody say amen? amen. The message translation in verses 17 to 18 says, Jesus came back. He says, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the awesome privilege of being called your sons and daughters. The privilege, O oh God, of coming into your presence through the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of being called your church, O oh God. Lord, even today we ask you, build your church, O oh God. I pray for all my brothers and my sisters, including myself, wherever we are, everlasting Father, build our lives, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, there's a saying that if you don't know who you are, other people will tell you who you are. And it's a very, very important statement, ladies and gentlemen, for us as Christians, particularly in these times that we find ourselves. You know, this question, when, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am, it's not that he didn't know who he was. But he wanted to test the state of their relationship with him, the extent of their knowledge of him. So he says, who do people say that I am? And then says, who do you really say that I am? But as importantly, ladies and gentlemen, he then said, I will tell you, he was speaking to Peter, I will tell you who you really are. The title of our discourse this morning is, who are you really? I wish you could turn to the person next to you. You might think you know them, but please ask them, who are you really? Go on, go on. Can, 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 can you ask them? Ask, seriously, ask them, who are you really? And the subtitle, the title is, who are you really? But the subtitle is, Built by Jesus. 2,000 years after Jesus asked the disciples this question, it still remains pertinent to you and I, particularly when we say we belong to God and we're followers, followers of Christ. And you know why? It's because, ladies and gentlemen, we live in very, very difficult times. And everything happening around us in the world is conspired to threaten this relationship that we profess in God. You see, the greatest treasure that any human being can ever have is the treasure of knowing God, the treasure of our relationship with God. It's a priceless treasure. And the reason, you know, is because when our 
I was going to say grandparents, they're more than grandparents. Uh, parents, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, you know the story. They were cut off from God. And it led to generations of people that were cut off from God. But God in his mercy and his love for you and I, ladies and gentlemen, sent his son, God the son, sent his son to die for you and I so that we can be reconciled to God. A precious, precious treasure for those who find it. And I pray that somebody will find that treasure today. That's what we call the good news, ladies and gentlemen. The good news of Jesus reconciling you and I back into a relationship with God. You know, the interesting thing, though, is that even though it's good news for you and I, even though it's good news for humanity that has been lost and separated from God, it's actually bad news for the devil. So guess what? The sole purpose of Satan... The one thing he's been doing for thousands of years, ladies and gentlemen, the one thing he's committed his de demented soul to is to stop people from getting into that relationship. He tries and doing very well in stopping people from entering into the relationship with God. But guess what? Even those who have entered into the relationship, Satan still tries to get you out of that relationship. That's why... Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It says, but I have come, I paraphrase, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Uh, the, the, the TPT says, life in its fullness. That's a treasure that we have in, in, in God, ladies and gentlemen. But like I said, our adversary, Satan, is very determined. You know, I, I love the scripture that Rumbi used um, um, when we prayed for the nation in, in Luke 22, when Jesus was saying to Simon, 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 better be careful. This devil, he's looking to see how he can, he can, he can trip you up. And he's been doing that, doing a good job, I must say. And he does this, ladies and gentlemen, using age-old tools that you and I must be aware of. We've talked about this many times. He uses sin, ladies and gentlemen, for as long as you can get a child of God to sin, particularly sin willfully and not repent of the sin. It cuts you off from God. He uses deception and lies. He uses the challenges of life, the trials of life. Better believe it. He, he, he loves to use the challenges of life to, to, to destabilize us, to demoralize, to demoralize us. But you know one tool that Satan uses that we're not mindful of? A very deadly tool that Satan uses to try and separate us from our relationship with God is the tool of religion. Very deadly. You know what religion is, ladies and gentlemen? Religion is a form of of Christianity. It's doing the rituals, but it's devoid of relationship. So we come to church, we go through the motions, we, know, we say the right things, but it's devoid of power because it's not based on a true relationship with God. You know, I love this, not that I love it, but it challenges me, that scripture in Isaiah 29, verse 13. It says, and so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules lent by roots. The message translation says, the master said, these people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their hearts are, aren't in it because they act like they're worshiping me but they don't mean it. That's religion. And ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of religion in the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and I've come to give it to you abundantly. The key, ladies and gentlemen, to abundant life. Incidentally, when the Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, I say this all the time, it's not your car that is after. It's not your house is after. 
It's principally your relationship with God and then secondarily your relationship with other people. It's your life that is after. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please say to someone today, the extent of a rich, satisfying, abundant life is the extent to which we commit to our relationship with Christ. It's the extent to which Christ lives in us and we live in Christ. You know, I, I, I said, you know, when a box comes, you can see a sticker on a label. Uh, sorry, you can see a sticker or label on a box. It's supposed to tell you what is inside the box. But how many of you know that it's only when you open the box that you see what's really inside? And it's exactly the same with the church. People are supposed to see us, and the assumption instantly must be, these are people of God, people built by God. But then, when we strip off the facade, what do they see? That's why we ask the question, who are you really? Who are you really? And I was thinking this morning, when you, when you see a car, when you see a Mercedes-Benz, and you see the, the, the name or the, the logo uh, uh, at the back or in front, you know what it tells you? You, look, you see a Mercedes-Benz car, instantly what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind is made by Mercedes. It comes with a name. It comes almost with a guarantee. That when you get into that car, you are driving the real thing. Can we say the same about ourselves, ladies and gentlemen? So who are you, really? Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church. It is Jesus that builds his church, ladies and gentlemen. Anything different from what Jesus is building is not the church of God. And so today, we wanted to challenge ourselves. What are the characteristics of a church? Incidentally, you know a church is a people. A church is not the building. A church is all of us. What are the characteristics of the church that Jesus builds? What are the characteristics of a people that are built by Jesus, made by Jesus? There are quite a number of things we can talk about, but five things that I wanted to challenge myself and challenge yourselves with this morning. The first thing, Incidentally, talking about, talking about who are you really, being the real McCoy. I read a story about a gentleman who, I was about to say he's a Christian, yeah? You know, you know we, we label ourselves, say we're Christians. The fact that we come to church does not make us Christians. Do you know that? Do you agree? So anyway, I read the story of this gentleman, he's a Christian, well, supposed to be a Christian, goes to church. He plays golf with his friends. I gathered that um, a lot of his friends were not believers. So while playing squash, this gentleman, this Christian, was in the habit of always swearing, 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 you know, using swear words amongst his friends that are not believers. You know, they're playing golf, and, you know, they're chatting, and they're doing stuff, and, you know, cracking dirty jokes and all that. And then one day, one day, this true story, one day a gentleman comes to the golf course, joins the, the golf course, and then, you know, he's, um, he's the, so this gentleman is the one that's telling the story. So he's playing golf with them. He's new. And then, you know, this man who's a Christian who goes to church, he's swearing, you know, cracking dirty jokes and all that. And then, you know, somebody introduces him and then says, oh, by the way, this is the new member of the club. And then he says the name of the person and says, he's a pastor in so-so-and-so church. Do you know instantly the guy stops swearing? Hello, pastor, and then starts to be nice. Who are you really? Who are you really? When we strip off the cover. Five things, characteristics of the church that Jesus builds. A church of power, and we'll talk about that very quickly. The first characteristic, ladies and gentlemen, the first thing that is evidence of a church, a people that Jesus is building, is the experiential knowledge of God. A church 
that is going to be a church of God must be a church that knows God. At the root of our relationship with God, ladies and gentlemen, is our knowledge of God, and it's experiential knowledge, not head knowledge. I know my neighbor, but I don't really know my neighbor. Experiential knowledge of God is the foundation of our relationship with God. And you can't have a meaningful relationship with God, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know God. Like I said to you, the bane of the church is religion, religion, the form, the practice, but devoid of relationship. So people come to church and they don't know God. Why do I say that? Because you see it in the behavior and the actions and the reactions of people. Do you know, I heard, I think it was last week, I was, I was talking to a couple and we were talking and they were saying, do you know in church, one thing that is rampant in church is people, people dating and sleeping with each other. And guess what they'll say? They'll say, we need to test this before we get into a serious relationship. And I'm thinking, really? It's because we don't know God. That's why Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites, because they professed, but they didn't act. God says in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, my people have been destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you. There's a quote that I came across. If you can memorize it, please memorize it. This is the quote. It says, many Christians grow up in church but never grow in Christ. They know hymns, but they don't know him. Should I say it again? Many Christians grow up in church, but never grow in Christ. They know hymns, you know the hymns that we sing, but they don't know him. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus asked Peter and said, who do men say that I am? And Jesus made that, I'm sorry, Peter made that declaration, says, you are Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior. Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to give you another name. Because of your revelation knowledge, I call you, Peter, a rock. You're a rock. A person who knows God, a people who know God are like rocks, stable, strong in their walk with God. A church that knows God is strong. And guess what Jesus says? He says, and because of your knowledge of God, the gates of hell will never conquer you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And this is how Jesus builds his church. He says, now these are, from verse 11, he says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever, they would sound like the truth. That only comes through the knowledge of God. You know that famous scripture that we, we quote in, um, in Daniel chapter 11? We often quote the latter bit, 32b, of Daniel 11. But this is the full verse. It says, with smooth words of flattery and praise. This is talking about the devil. And, and his quotes, with smooth words of flattery and praise, he will turn to godlessness those who are willing to disregard the Mosaic covenant. But the people who are spiritually mature and know their God will be strong and take action to resist. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, a church that is going to be a church built by God must be a church that strives to know God, that wants to know God. Peter and Paul, he kept saying, despite his work with God, he kept saying, that I may know you, that I may know you. That should be somebody's cry, my brothers and sisters. 
that I may know God. You know why? Because the more you know God, the stronger you are as a child of God in the house of God. I always say to people that the principal reason why we read the Bible is to know God. It's not to find the promises first. Those things are the subsidiary benefits. The principal reason why we pray and read the Bible is to know God. God says in Jeremiah 29, 14, I paraphrase 13 and 14, he says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you're sincere about looking for me, if you're sincere about knowing me, I will reveal myself to you. Number two, the church that Jesus builds, remember, is one founded on experiential knowledge of God. My brothers and my sisters, you must know God. You must learn God. You must search to know God. It makes you strong in your work with God. But the second thing that, that is a characteristic of a church that Jesus builds is our faith in God. Faith, ladies and gentlemen, is a product of knowledge. Faith says, I believe who God says he is, and I have complete trust in him. Hebrews 11 verse 6, I paraphrase. So we know God, we learn God. As we know God, as we learn God, guess what? It, makes, it builds our faith in God. It builds our trust and confidence in God. If you don't trust God, you can't really walk with God. And you know what religion does, ladies and gentlemen? Religion is very transactional. Religion is, what, 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 what can I get from God? So I go through the motions because of what I want from God. And that's why religion never builds trust in God. And then when the wind comes, when, 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 when the storms blow, guess what? The person that says they're Christian, they're blown away by the wind. Luke chapter I think it's chapter 8. Let's, let's look at Luke chapter 8. Look at what happens in Luke chapter 8. It says, from verse 22, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. The disciples, verse 24, the disciples went and woke him up and shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly, the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, where is your faith? You know what he was saying? You, 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 you've been walking with me all this while. You've been coming to church. You've been saying you know me. So, so where's your faith? What he's saying is that I would have thought that the more you relate with me, the more you know me, the more you have trust and confidence in me. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't know, let me announce to all of us. Satan is in the habit of using storms of life to buffet you and I. Remember what I said? Not so that you will lose your job, but so that you would lose your relationship. He uses those things, a loss of a job, uh, economic challenges, um, the mo 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 mortgage, 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 mortgage. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and we were lamenting about, how, how many people's mortgages have gone up? How many people's mortgages have gone up? How many people's mortgages have gone up? I was lamenting with somebody, and mortgage has gone up. Over 100%. How am I going to survive? The storms and challenges of life. But listen, listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, so be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. He says, these trials, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor 
on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. That's the church that God, Jesus is building. That's the characteristic of a people that say that I'm built by God, I'm made by God. I'm a child of God. I know God. But guess what? I also have implicit trust and confidence in God. That's why Peter, God bless Peter. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, 6 to 9, he says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for God cares. You know, if you know God, you will know that God cares for you. Last week, Pastor Badge was telling us about our relationship with God. The fundamental thing, the principal thing about God is that he's a God of love. God loves you. He cares for you. So Peter says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Stand firm against him. Do you know if you resist Satan because you know God and you trust God, he will run away from you? Number three. The church that God builds, the church Jesus is building, a church that knows God, a church that trusts God. But you know, I said earlier that God is incredibly faithful. Do you agree that God is faithful? Do you agree that God is faithful? Has God been faithful to you? Do you know the third characteristic of a church of God, a church built by Jesus, is a faithful church? God is faithful, but guess what? He's also looking for you and I to be faithful to him. And that is the bane of religion. That was God's biggest headache with the children of Israel. They were completely unfaithful to God. They called themselves the people of God, but they were unfaithful to God. And we see it a lot now. Faithfulness, ladies and gentlemen, is lasting loyalty and trustworthiness to the other person in a relationship. Faithfulness means that I am committed to you. Faithfulness means I'm dedicated to you. Faithfulness means I appreciate you. Talking about faithfulness, I almost forgot. T talking about faithfulness, um, we had a trustees meeting on Friday. Yes, it was Friday. Um, Jesus House trustees meeting. And um, it was, this particular trustees meeting was dedicated to approving the, you know, we're a company uh, registered in, in the nation, so we're obliged to go through the accounts of the previous years, approve the accounts of the previous years. So we were going through the accounts of last year, and um, when, the, when Lide, our head of finance, was presenting the accounts, we, you know, we were all just so grateful to God. You know why? In the midst of all the challenges that were going on, we found out that in last year, the finances of the church dipped only very slightly. I think it was something like by minus 2% or something. In the midst of the economic crisis. But the one that touched everybody the most was that we looked at the tithes, we looked at the offering. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, despite all the hardship, people have remained faithful in their tithing and in their offering. Go on, let's give glory to God. So the trustees, the trustees ask that we should commend you, commend the church, for remaining faithful to God in your giving. But please, let's remain faithful to God in other areas of our relationship with him. Faithfulness means that we obey God. Faithfulness means that, 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 that we're committed to, 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 to doing things that are pleasing to God. Faithfulness, ladies and gentlemen, honors God. I was saying about the children of Israel, <laughs> you know, every time I read the Bible, I don't know if this happens to you, you're reading the Bible, you're reading, um, and, and actually, can I give you some homework? When you get home, read Psalm 78. It will blow your mind. There's a verse in Psalm 78. 
verses 7 to 8, but please read the whole, I think it's about 40-something verses. It says, so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Do you know, if you read Psalm 78, it will blow your mind. One minute, one minute. The people, they, 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 they are loving God. They're loving God because God just blessed them with something. And then the next minute, they start to turn their backs from God. And then God says, you know what, I'm tired of these people. He turns away. Then they, they run back to God and cry to God, oh, Lord, help us. And then God comes and helps them either to defeat an enemy or provide something. And then they love God for a minute. And then the next minute, they turn their back on God. And it goes on and on and on and on. An unfaithful generation of people, the Bible says. May we not be like that. Yeah. You know, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine? I, I was reading how God appears to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai and, and then, you know, gives them the Ten Commandments. No, actually, um, appears to them, announces to them, I'm your God, I will do this, I will do that, and all that. And then he calls Moses up to the mountain. Exodus chapter 32. The Bible says, when Moses went up to be with God, he went up to be with God to receive from God for the people. But when they waited and waited and waited and they listened to Moses, guess what they said? They said, this man Moses, that is trying to tell us to follow this God. We don't know what's happened to him. You know what? Bring gold, bring silver. Let's make gods for ourselves. Can you beat that? And we might say, ah, ah. But... I'm sure you know it happens with us as well. Who are you, really? And you know, there's a trend in the Bible that is very scary. When you read the accounts of the kings, there are a number of them who the Bible will say they were unfaithful, they were wicked, they, they, you know, they did evil. But there were quite a number of them who the Bible will say they, they, they did what was pleasing to God. But towards the end... They turned away from God. Ah, do you know, when I read those accounts, I pray, Lord, may I finish strong in you. May you finish strong in God. May your faithfulness never, ever be derailed by Satan. That's why the Bible, let me read this scripture to you. We're almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 10 and then 16 to 18. This is Paul speaking. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Verse 16, that is why we never give up. Bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Verse 18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, even though life is battering me, once I remember that God is faithful. Guess what? It keeps me strong. I love that song that says, don't give up on God because God will never give up on you. Can somebody pray for grace to remain faithful to God? Number four, as we start to finish. So Jesus builds his church. He says, I will build my church. He's the one that builds his church. What are the characteristics of people that know God? A people that trust God confidently, that are strong in their faith in God. A people that are faithful to God despite the circumstances. Despite. Faithful. You know, you know, unfaithfulness is like adultery. When you cheat on somebody that, 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 that you're in a relationship with. Do you know we cheat on God a lot? Did you know that? Number four, the church that Jesus is building is a church where 
Christ is being formed in us. And this is very important, ladies and gentlemen. The ultimate evidence of who we say we are. Remember the title. Who are you really? Who are you really? It's not that you say it with your mouth that I'm a Christian that makes you a Christian. Who are you really? The ultimate evidence of who you are is that Christ is being formed in you. Romans chapter 8. This is the ultimate goal. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Verse 29. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Our relationship with God, you know, this salvation that we talk about, it's a journey. It's a journey that starts from when we give our lives to Christ and then ends when we transit to be with God in eternity. But between that and that, ladies and gentlemen, God's ultimate goal is that Christ will be formed in you and I. That's a principal characteristic that people look at and they say, yes, this is a Mercedes-Benz. Not just because of the label, but because when we lift the hood of the, of, of the of, when we lift, lift the bonnet and we look at the engine, when we look at the real deal, we see Christ inside. Does somebody understand? Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. He's talking about us. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? That's religion. You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. That's religion. He says in verse 11, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work for you, with you, was for nothing. And then in verse 19, he says, Oh, my dear children, oh, my dear Jesus house, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in you. That is the church God is building, until Christ is fully developed. Paul uses the analogy of a pregnant woman. A baby starts to develop in your womb. Everything about you is geared towards bringing this baby forth. That's all you're concerned about. This baby is developing, developing. You're not, not nourishing the baby with, with the word and all the things we talked about. But the ultimate goal is that this baby must come out. And guess what? You are hoping that when the baby comes out, the baby will look like you. What a tragedy if you are to have a baby. Have you read those articles where, where they said uh, uh, two, 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 two black parents, the wife gives birth to a baby and the baby is white? And I think, where, where, where did the baby come from? And then they turn to each other and start to ask, accuse each other. Which one of us was unfaithful? So why, why are you laughing? I don't know. Did, did I say something wrong? And you know, a mother who's carrying a baby, if she doesn't give birth to the baby, the baby becomes stillborn. That's what religion does. That's what Satan wants. To kill the baby so that Christ is not formed in you and I. Another quote. It says, what the world sees that is distasteful and repelling is religion. People who are not sincere about their faith and who are not consistent in their faithfulness. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's one thing you and I must pursue as a people of God is that we let the Holy Spirit do his work in us so that Christ is formed in us. And then lastly, the church that Jesus builds 
a church that knows God, a church that is trusting and confident in God in their faith, a church that, that, that is faithful despite the circumstances, a church that is becoming more and more like God and, and, and displaying God. But ladies and gentlemen, the last thing is that it's a church that lives to give glory to God. You know what religion does? Religion is never about God. Religion doesn't care about God. Religion cares about you, me, what I can get from God. And that's why when we don't get the things that we want from God, we start to tr throw tantrums and we're angry with God. That's religion. But a, a, a true relationship with God, a person built by God, his concern is always for the things of God, that my life will bring glory to God. All that I want is to please God. That's why Jesus could go to the garden. Let me read the scripture for you. Let me try and find the scripture. I think it's John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Listen, it says in verse 27, it says, this is Jesus in the garden. Is, is it, no, actually not in the garden yet. It says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour. But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I've already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, left to me, left to me, left to myself. I'd rather not do this thing. Left to me. But he says, you know what? It's not about me, it's about God. So he says, God, glorify yourself in me. May God glorify himself in your life. May your life bring glory to God, ladies and gentlemen. So who are you really? When all is stripped away, who are you, really? Ladies and gentlemen, we're living in very difficult times. And whilst the devil is looking for those he will destroy, God is looking for those who are going to be like rocks, built by God. That's the label that should be on your life. When people see you, they say, built by God. It's a stamp, it's a label. Because they see those characteristics in your life. People who know him. People who trust him. People who are faithful to him. Who are Christ-like in their interaction with people. And people who live for God's glory. This is the church that Jesus died for. This is the church that Jesus is building. This is the church that is powerful. Because when people are like this, the gates of hell will never prevail. I want to pray for us, ladies and gentlemen. It's a scripture that I want to pray. But before that, I just want to give a very quick opportunity. If there's anyone listening to me, either here at the hub in Greenwich or you're online, and you haven't come into a true relationship with God through Jesus Christ, or maybe you did, but the circumstances of life I've caused you to slip away. I want to invite you, please, to come back to God. The Apostle Paul says, this is all that we do, that we're crying out on behalf of God. Come back to God. God loves you, my brother and my sister. And he wants you to live a rich, satisfying life. But that life can only be lived in Christ Jesus, with Jesus building your life, not you building your life by yourself. So if you're here, ladies and gentlemen, and you haven't taken the step before, or you have, but you want to come back to Jesus, please respond to this invitation. Can I ask for our heads to be bowed, all heads bowed, all heads bowed, if you're here. If there's anyone who's saying, I hear the Spirit of God knocking on my heart, and I want to come to God, I want to enter into this meaningful relationship with him. Oh, I did before, but I've turned away. If you just slip up your hand, just for a second, it's not onto any man at all. That's why we ask heads to be bowed. It's only onto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He is your Lord. He's your God. He's the one that created you. He's the one that's building your life. Anybody wants to say that, just, just slip up your hand so that I see. Anybody at all? Those of you online, if, if you're responding to this call, you want to you want to go on the chat box and just respond to, to, the, to the prompt that says, giving your life to God. The rest of us, 
You don't, don't wait for me. Just start to pray for yourself. I'm going to say a prayer as we end in a second. But start to pray for yourself. All the things that we talked about. That I may know him, Paul says. That I may trust in him. Okay, I, I can see that hand. I, I beg your pardon. Apologies. God bless you. God bless you. The person that raised their hand. If there's anybody else, God bless you. God bless you. Before we pray for ourselves, um, for the person, I can't see whether it's a gentleman or not. Um, and, um, okay, there's another person. God bless you. God bless you. And then if there's anybody else online, the rest of us, let's just bow our heads as we pray together. For those of you who've raised your hand in response to this invitation, if you just say this prayer with me, Heavenly Father, I thank you. I acknowledge that you are God and that Jesus Christ is your Son. I acknowledge that Jesus Christ came from heaven to die for my sin. And today I come to you repenting of my sins, asking that you forgive me for all that I've done in the past. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you that you might become my Lord, my Savior, and the builder of my life. Thank you, O Lord, my God. By the Spirit of God, from today, I am born again. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For those of you who said that prayer, if you put up your hand, I think there's a QR code should come up that... Um, allows you to just fill some details so we can keep in touch with you and just walk with you in this journey of our relationship with God. Father, we bless you. For the rest of us, I want to leave us with a prayer. It's a prayer that I want to encourage you to pray. Just pray. Pray as often as you can. You know, there's a song that says, Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you. Jesus, Jesus.
Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of Paul says his trials, but whatever trials you and I face. He says, I'm suffering for you so you should feel honor. Verse 14. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is for you. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus. Glory to him in this church. Glory to him in your life. Through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.